In Session with Dr. Farid Hulak. afternoon. Welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Tolakwi, and I'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so you can call in with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues as well. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Again, our studio number, 310-441-0555. I wanted to start off the show today talking about freedom of speech, which is uh, always a big topic, but has become more in the spotlight recently with things that happened around the Capitol building attack a few weeks ago now, and also with Twitter and uh, then-President Trump being banned from Twitter and and issues of this sort. But also, it's an issue that comes up related to things like cancel culture, political correctness. Uh, Even when we look at the arts, this issue comes up of what's okay and not okay. And I'm not going to give a legal Uh, explanation of what that is and even looking at it from a legal perspective sometimes when we look at any of our behaviors and just say well is it legal or illegal it's a pretty low bar and one that we should not just focus on if you're in a relationship with someone almost nothing you can do barring let's say physically assaulting them or harassing them in an extreme way would be illegal but um, we would say that there's a lot that you wouldn't want to do that would still fall under that realm. So I wanted to talk a bit about what we should look at. And there's a lot of gray areas when we look at something like freedom of speech. It's not black and white. And unfortunately, people are usually looking for that. They say, well, you can't. Well, the First Amendment in the United States is the freedom of speech, or it includes the freedom of speech. So essentially, they argue you can never tell someone they can't say anything. And this is not true. And it's not actually what is meant by that. And we get into complicated territory when we recognize that when we look at all of these rights and freedoms, and when you're living in a society with other individuals, you have freedom, but you have freedom in so much as you're not infringing on the freedoms of others or even uh, the, the rights of others or the well-being of others. So you can't just do whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want. You are uh, having to be mindful of others as well. So when we talk about freedom of speech, one of the most common examples people use to say when you can't say whatever you want is to yell fire in a crowded theater. Right now, being in a crowded theater itself would be dangerous with coronavirus. But if you are in a crowded theater, the the kind of adage goes that if you yell fire, it might create some um, uh, chaos and people start trampling over each other, people might get injured or even killed. So that would go against, um, that would violate still some uh, laws because even though, yes, you have freedom of speech, but in this case, your speech and lying about that there's a fire would actually put people in some kind of physical danger. Now, when we look at other types of speech, I was thinking of actually hate speech, for example, 
It's not yelling fire in a crowded theater, but it can have a similar impact in the sense that it might lead to people getting hurt. And so this is where we do get into a lot of gray areas, because if I, for example, even on this show, promote some hateful ideas about certain groups of people and promote violence or tell people that you should do this and even find justifications and logic and reasons why you should go harm other people. Well, if I say, well, it's just freedom of speech, I'm just saying things. What people do is on them. Here's where we get into some gray area. How much am I responsible for the actions that people take based on what I say? Of course, on the other end, realistically, what I try to do on this show is to promote good ideas and ideals and ways of dealing with things in our relationships, our personal lives, uh, and the world at large that I hope will have a positive influence. So, of course, I'm, I wouldn't be saying anything. I wouldn't be doing this show if I didn't think it's possible that sharing these ideas, talking about these issues have some impact on the behaviors and actions and thoughts and feelings of others. So, of course, we, we do believe that. And that's why we do what we do and why we watch the things that we watch. And we are all influenced by the things that are around us. So when we look at hate speech, to me, that could be another way of yelling fire, but rather in a crowded theater and it's all in one moment, it's more of an extended period of time. And so as you're listening to me say hate speech, what does that even mean? And this is again where we come into a gray area. If I share my opinions about certain groups and just say, well, their opinions about certain people and how we should uh, treat them or just let's say even if I dehumanize them, it could be a gray area of how much of that is my opinion, how much of it is I'm saying it's fact, how much of it is hate speech, how much of that is just people have uh, certain preferences. So it is a lot of gray area, but I think one where we have to, again, lose the dogmatic type of thinking of either you can say anything uh, and it's all okay, or that we should control everything and recognize it's a much more of a gray area that we're looking at when we see something like this. So if I promote something, I say something, I think I have to be aware of that impact that it can have. And so this extends to me, even when we look at the arts, I'm someone who really enjoys music. I love even stand-up comedy, which is an area where this comes up a lot. Uh, but I don't think it means that if you're an artist, I know this could come off controversial or people don't like this, but that you can just say and do whatever you want because it's art and there should be no limitations in that. I do think, again, we get to a gray area. I think when you are being creative when it comes to art, you should have the space for yourself. You can explore all types of things. Really, art does push the envelope or good art pushes the envelope or if it's going to be creative it has to go into new territories or new ways of doing things or creating and recreating and combining things in a unique and a novel way so that part I think is good in the exploration but what you release and what you share with others that I think the artist and even myself I don't know if you'd consider this an art but in some ways it is but the person sharing their ideas or their art, I think has to be mindful of the impact it has on others. So in a reasonable way, and by that I mean, again, this gray area, but what does it mean if I share an idea and think of the impact it has on others? So I can be on my show uh, and say, I think we should love one another, we should treat each other equally, and we should be um, kind to everyone that we meet. 
And someone could say, I listened to your show and I heard you say those things about being kind to others. And I realized you meant the opposite. So I went and committed these horrific acts in the name of what you said. Now, in that case, I wouldn't say I would hold myself at all responsible. There is a certain level of reasonableness we can say based on how someone gets affected or impacted by what we say. And it's not really fair to say that, well, even if you say something good, someone could say, I think you mean the opposite, and and then you're responsible for that. But now if I were to come on this show and say, this group of people, they are bad. And actually, from a psychological perspective, it's harmful for the world to have these people. So if you see them, you should go hurt them and do whatever you want to them, even kill them, because that would be good for the overall humanity for society. And then if people were more likely to hurt those people, or if someone heard my show or was listening to me repeat these types of ideas over and over and took action, I don't think that would be a stretch to say that in some way I am responsible for those actions. Did I physically commit the acts? No. But was I sharing and spreading ideas that could contribute to that violence and those types of actions? Absolutely. And I don't think that it would be right to say I'm not at all responsible for that. And if you create a song, same kind of thing. Yes, it's art, but you do want to be aware of what you are talking about and what you're sharing in your artistic exploration. I think absolutely you should push the boundaries, go to places that are uncomfortable, try all sorts of things. But then when you come to release your art and share it with others, I think it is responsible to consider what is it that is in this message and how could that impact other people in society at large. I do think that the artist is still at some level responsible for a degree of accountability in what they do. And so this extends to everyone, whether you're a straight up artist as in a singer or painter or something like that, or someone who's speaking or sharing your ideas, I think there's some level of responsibility. Now, if we bring this to things like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, we get into even more gray area because unfortunately what really sells in the sense that makes people share and like and and spread different ideas are things that a lot of times are more negative, have hate or uh, bias towards certain groups. Those things tend to spread more. And the social media companies, in a way, they don't necessarily promote hate in my mind, but they kind of let things just happen and they don't really get in the way of what's going on. And what ends up happening is that the things that spread oftentimes tend to be negative. They tend to promote negative things or they can't. And so where do we draw that line? Is it just if someone says something kind of mean, I don't like this song, is that something hateful? Or is it have to be to the point where they say actually take action and hurt other people? And where is that that line? It's not really clear. Uh, going back to the legal perspective, these companies are private companies, so they're not necessarily beholden to the same types of freedom of speech laws that, let's say, the government would be. But there's still some aspects of freedom of speech that come into play. But we get into some gray area here again of what does it mean to say something hurtful or hateful? And again, making it very clear that hate speech is a form of violence, a form of hurting others. If we share negative ideas, if we promote hate and violence, it does contribute to more violence over time. And we have to be very careful about that. So when we're looking at these issues that come up about freedom of speech, 
censorship, um, what can we say or not say, we very often have to be aware that we're dealing with more of a gray area than a black and white. There's no such thing as freedom of speech means anyone could say anything at any time. Any of the freedoms that we have, whatever they might be, they're always going to be limited in some way. So we have to be careful about that. I remember even when I was a kid and you still hear it where if someone says this is a rule or you can't do this, people say, well, it's, it's a free country, isn't it? And yes, America has, uh, we have a lot of freedoms here in the United States that you don't have in other countries. That is true, but it doesn't mean it's absolute freedom no matter what all the time. Another thing that we have in this country is that we have to, in theory, at least be respectful of one another or everyone has those rights. So you can't say, for example, I like to listen to music and I want to listen to music in my house and I'm going to listen to music at three in the morning at full volume because I enjoy music. And if it wakes up my neighbors, well, that doesn't matter. I've, it's a free country, right? Well, of course, we wouldn't think that's true. When we live with others, as is the case of living in a society, we have to always be aware of the impact it's having on others. And it creates a lot of uh, gray areas. And then coming back to the freedom of speech, we have to look at that when we look at others, but also be mindful of our own speech. You might think, well, I'm not an artist or I'm not promoting it in some big way, but everything we say has impacts on those around us. With social media now, we're just seeing people, you know, fighting and essentially yelling, but with their keyboards at each other online, saying very harsh things to each other and thinking, well, it's just, you know, the internet or it's something okay, it doesn't make a difference, but we want to be aware of what is that impact? So when we're online, we want to have that awareness, but also with the people around you, the way you talk. And actually, the book I'm reading this week that I'll discuss on Monday's show this week is about how we talk. But the ways we talk and share things is very, very important. And we can always have an awareness. It's not illegal to say things in a meaner way, but we can always say things in a kinder way. And that actually leaves an impact on those around us, whether we're talking, of course, about your kids, let's say, but also anyone you interact with. And I think it's important to be mindful of that. So we might even have a freedom to say certain things. And if we just look again at legal, yes, maybe it's legal to say things in a harsh way. But if we can, I hope we can always find a way to say it in the more loving way without losing the truth or the reality of what we want to say. Let's go to our first commercial break, studio number 3104410555. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Studio number 3104410555. Let's go to a caller now. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hello? Yes, hi. Hi. I I had a question about taking a major. Okay. And I'm I'm actually starting my first year at university this year, uh, you know, online. Uh-huh. And I'm, you know, I'm interested in uh, psychology. I'm taking, uh, you know, psychology courses. And I'm also interested in coding, and I'm taking, you know, learning coding and stuff at school. But I wasn't sure because I know there's some majors that are a mix. Mm-hmm. Like they say, you know, a uh, mix of computer and psychology or neuroscience and psych- neuroscience and computer. But I was not sure, you know, what I should do, if it's best for me to, or like even, even uh, I'm not sure totally if I want to stick with uh, what major I cho- choose. So I was wondering if 
do you have any advice in you know choosing a major? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, we can definitely explore that, and we can and talk about it. And um, at the end of the day, I can't really give you specific advice on what major you should pick because, uh, you know, the major you pick has to be what right. makes sense for you and what you want to do. And even as you said yourself, you might pick a major, and if it's your first year of university, it doesn't mean you are necessarily married to that major for the rest of your life because very often people they as they take some classes they get realize they're more interested in one field or another and and so they might uh, change directions but that that's more than okay so you said you like psychology but you also like coding um and you're in you're going into your first year of university so does that mean you're around 18 years old yeah i'm 18 years okay so that's another um reminder that at 18 it's okay if you don't exactly know what you're gonna do or what you want to do many people don't and that's okay so you might not have it all figured out so what do you like about let's say psychology and then we could look at each of them individually that you brought up so what do you like about the field of psychology or studying that yeah so I think so far what I've enjoyed you know in the course at least um, is understanding how why different people may you know how how their action you know how they respond to different situations mm-hmm. enjoy learning that uh, we haven't really gone into the you know the biology of psychology but in my neuroscience class uh, we've you know talked about the different parts of the brain that's been something that's been interesting for me mm-hmm okay um, yeah all right. And as far as do you think of it as something you want to pursue as a career when you look at psychology as something you're interested in? Right. Yes. I was yeah, I'm hoping to uh either yeah, either pursue it as a career cuz my school also they have like different branches. They also have a I believe it's called cognitive sciences, cognitive, uh-huh. Yeah. Right. And but I, you know, I've heard, you know, some people have said that it's not a good idea to do majors that are mixed because, I don't know, they say that it's better if you do one, like, if you do one specific major and study more in depth than that one specific area versus if you're studying a mixed, you know, mixed field. Not, I, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. Who, who has uh, told you that? Uh, you know, just, I think... Not, uh, I guess, other Persians. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> so I'll be another Persian on that list of people telling you uh, what to study or not study. And that actually brings yeah. up a very important aspect of this process is making sure it's good to get advice from people, especially people who are in specific fields can tell you a bit more about um, what their field is like and you might get a sense of what you like or don't like. But in working with a lot of Iranian families and Iranian young young adults, I very often see that there's too much of an influence of other people in making this decision of what to study. So mm-hmm. I don't know what your own experience is, and we can look at that. But very often, for example, parents will say you should study this or shouldn't study this or push the, the kids in a certain direction, thinking that they're helping but not recognizing that they're in a way interfering with the process of their child, young adult, um, figuring out what they want to do. So how do you see those influences around you? Are there family members or um, people that are putting pressure on you in any kind of way? 
Yeah, I think uh, maybe it's also, you know, they, you know, thinking about after, like, after school, right? Mm -hmm. Like, what you can do with that major. Sure. And uh, even, like, what career, I guess, you know, the, you know, the income, income level of that field, right? And going to grad school, like, I guess, yeah, like, what, what jobs there are even in that field or if there's, a, you know, if it's high demand or not. So I think that's something. Sure, but I don't know yeah. if you got, heard my question about is are there people around you that you feel are putting a pressure on you in any way saying you should do this or shouldn't do this? Yeah, I think, yeah, I think maybe like, uh, you know, my, I guess with the, it's like the stereotype Persian, either you be a doctor, engineer, or, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I guess may, may, maybe from my parents. Okay. So tell me, what are your, um, what are your parents telling you? Uh, to, you know, study something where you'll be able to have a high income mm -hmm. after you graduate when you get a job. And, uh, and then I know like the, you know, the fields that are known for that. Mm -hmm. And, um, maybe just looking at, I think even in, just in school, it's kind of, it's kind of clear, you know, what people like see as a good major versus like a bad major, I guess. Like what, I guess when, when I say good, I mean like in terms of finding a job and having, you know, financially compensated for the job. Yeah. I mean, of course, those things do matter. I don't want to say that the right. financial aspect doesn't matter, but I wouldn't want you to think about it in those terms of putting the financial part first yeah. because you have to figure out what you like to do and not to make it sound too cliche or easy but if you find something you like and you're good at you'll find a way to make money doing that so mm. I, I wouldn't get fixated on you have to find the thing that's already lucrative or you know can make money and that's also saying that that's the most important thing so uh, I right. wouldn't think much about that side of it yet especially now when you're figuring out even what you want to study what fields you like you have to try to explore that more and understanding what you're good at what you enjoy um, what do you think you can you know be passionate about or develop passions in and the reason why I say it in that way is sometimes people think you know your passion is going to hit you in the face and once you see it every day you're going to just love that field or that career and it's not always that way we in some ways also can develop our passions as we go more into different fields or different areas of study so um, I don't want you to feel like you have to take classes until you find something that it's almost reminds you of how people think of relationships like a soulmate that you meet someone and love everything about them and everything is just perfect from the moment you meet them but that's not realistic either so even in our careers and what we um, decide to do we won't have that feeling but I wouldn't want you to put all these other types of influences in your decision making already of like what am I going to how am I going to make money you know and that is a common Persian parent um, type of a uh, you know Right. influences right. to tell you well you, how do you can you make money doing that or can you make money doing this and pretty much any of the things you've talked about you can make money as far as taking care of yourself and even how much money you make that's something that you need to think about more than your parents again the the 
the parent influence, especially the Persian parent influences, you have to make lots of money and whatever that means to them. But you can make whatever amount of money you think is reasonable. And I don't, I'm not worried about you going into either of those, any of the fields you've mentioned and not being able to take care of yourself. So I would not think that much about the the career, especially right now, because you go into any of those things, psychology, cognitive science, coding, there's thousands of careers within those domains. So it's not like cognitive science is a career. It's a field of study. And within that field of study, there's so many uh, careers that you can find with different ranges. And then even within a set career or job, there's a range of what you can do, how much money you can make. And even I don't want to even keep emphasizing that because I don't think that's the most important thing. It's a thing, but definitely not the most important one when it comes to picking a career. Right. Yeah, and I think one other factor I should mention, uh, I guess the other you know, community I'm part of, there's an emphasis on being doing service, right? Service to humanity uh-huh. and making service at the center of your life. So that's also something I've been thinking about, like what, like what I major in or what I, I guess, study. How can I really uh, continue with, I guess, in a way, still being able to uh, serve? Yeah. Well, I really think um, I think it's good to have that mindset. You're saying it's from a religious perspective for yourself, and even just from a human perspective. We, we tend to feel better and have more meaning in our life when what we do contributes to helping others, helping um, the community, helping society as a whole. So I think that's that's good to have that mindset. I st- also still, you know, going to the same uh, kind of theme of when it comes to money, if you study any field and become good at it, you can do things to help others and help you know, humanity. It doesn't mean, you know, sometimes we think, well, you have to be a doctor or you have to be a specific type of thing where you're directly one-on-one, let's say, helping individuals on a, you know, let's say treatment basis. But that's not the case. We need people to do all types of services. So you can be coding and, you know, you can do coding that uh, helps humanity more and does do stuff that does not help as much. So I, I think you'll also be able to find ways to serve others in whatever it is you study. And what I think is most important is that our ability to serve others is something that we can strengthen in what we study, how hard we work, how we develop ourselves. So you essentially have these gifts within you, but it's not just that they're gifts and no matter what they come out, you have to develop them. So if you, uh, you know, study computer science or study, you know, cognitive science and you really contribute or work hard to build yourself up, then you'll have more to give to the world. So I think if you also find what you like to do, you're more likely to have more motivation to to go into that field with more, um, you know, passion, more uh, determination to then become even better at it. So I wouldn't say, well, you know, if you want to help others, you have to become a medical doctor. And that's the way of helping others, because that's Mm -hmm. maybe not what you want to do. And also might not be the best use of your individual gifts as a human being, your personality, your proclivities, your talents in different areas, your capabilities. So I, I would say even within that realm, I would want you to try to figure out what do I think I'm good at and enjoy doing work on that and develop that and then you'll find a way to both you know make money and also serve others and help others 
as well. I don't think it's a mutually exclusive kind of thing in any of these ways. You can find all of that really with any realm. I think anyone um, in any career, you can find people that are trying to help others. And in any career, you can find people that are being very selfish and greedy. You can be a doctor and, you know, do things that are just about yourself and you don't care about your patients. And you might even, you know, you can go even do fraud and do a bunch of bad and illegal things too with that um, education that you've gotten. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't be too concerned that you won't be able to help others or serve others um, with anything that you study. What's important is to find something that you like and then work really, really hard. And some of that can motivate you being like, I want to help others more. I want to create the best version of myself as far as where I get to. And that passion could drive you to do become stronger than you can help others. You know, the more you develop yourself, the more you can help um, other people. But that that involves finding something that you really enjoy. So I would hear people, even you're talking to me, but if your parents say things, people say things, hear them. But the most important thing is that you take all that advice, take all that information, and that helps you then listen within yourself to what you want to do. And at the end of the day, you're going to make this decision. You alone are going to be the one that makes that final decision with the guidance of others or the um, information of others. But you're going to be the one, and I trust that you'll make the, the best decision. Thank you. Thank you so much. Sure. Yeah. Any any other questions or thoughts on that? Um, I would do so. You know, finding what I love and like what I like to. Yeah. You know what feel. Is, would you say the best way is to, con- you know, taking these intro classes and just seeing what I enjoy? Yeah, exactly. I think that's what's good about most university settings or college settings. You know, the first couple of years you take a range of classes. So I would say, yeah, take classes in different disciplines, different things, already looking at what you like so you can get a sense of what you like. But until you really get into a field, you don't have a a full sense of what that field is like. So I would say, yeah, take classes in different disciplines, um, see what you're drawn to and then keep, you know, going into those. And I wouldn't be worried about this kind of like crossover fields. The world is becoming much more aware that things are not so separate. You can't just separate, you know, different fields completely. Everything that really contributes to progress is the integration of different fields and realizing that we separate them, especially on college campuses. You have to have this department, that department. But really, when things get done, it's things, fields coming together. So they're not as separate as we think. And I wouldn't be concerned that, um, you know, going into something that's a combination of two things is necessarily bad. I think it's like we think of if we get a product and it's a toaster and a microwave, it's usually bad at both of those things. But when (laughs) we're looking at fields, you're integrating areas of knowledge. It's not the same thing of like you're going to do two different things. And, um, you know, even you said computer science and cognitive science, there's a lot of ways that there's overlap in those fields where they're learning from each other because of that. So I don't see any problem if that's something you're interested in. But yeah, take classes in a variety of fields. But again, remember, at the end of the day, you're going to have to listen to yourself. And so if your parents or anyone is putting too much pressure on you to go into this or don't go into that, I will hope they won't do that. If they're listening, that they'll, they'll hear me and saying that. But that at the end of the day, you'll hear your, your own voice within yourself and it'll guide you. Doesn't mean once you hear it, you're going to know the whole path, but you'll go in the right direction and then you'll figure out your way. Yes, thank, thank you so sure. much. Sure. Really nice talking. You have a great day and good luck. Thank you. You too. Okay, take Bye-bye. care. All right, we're about to go to another commercial break. We'll be right back. 
welcome back. In this segment, I wanted to talk about um, a kind of a, a darker topic in some ways, but to give some insights into um, what a child experiences when they are in a uh, experiencing abuse from a parent. So, yeah, I, I know I said it was dark, but I wanted to look at some aspects of things that at times can be surprising to individuals who go through it or when we hear about it because one of the things that sadly happens when a child is abused by their parents is they tend to blame themselves um, rather than think that their parents are bad they think something is bad or wrong about them uh, and this is really the case with a lot of different it's not just full-on abuse, but anything that the parents are doing with the children, generally the child is going to think it's something about them. One of the realizations that children go through, and there are many as they get older, is recognizing that their childhood wasn't that it had to be the way that it was. So it's almost like they think their parents are just parents and that's all that parents could be. And then as they get older, they say, okay, my mom or my dad, let's say, didn't have to be that angry or didn't have to um, respond in the ways that, that he or she did or treat me the way that they did and we become more aware of, of certain things. But this experience that children have when they are abused, we could try to think, well, why would it make sense for the child to blame themselves. And it's very sad because even as they get older, it can have this impact of making them think it's something about them that's led to the abuse rather than uh, maybe it was their parents who had some issue or some problems that actually was the reason why the abuse was happening. And anyone um, who hears about abuse, of course, we'd blame the, the parents, not the kids. But for the child, that experience, unfortunately, is, is the other way around. Even sometimes when I do therapy, you hear it a lot where uh, a child, because they're still trying to defend their parents or they're still trying to make sense of things that happened, they'll say, oh, yeah, you know, my, my mom or my dad, they hit me or they did something. And then they'll add, but I was a really bad kid. So they're saying, but I deserved to get hit or I deserve to get abused, which is very sad because no one deserves to be abused. No child deserves to be abused, no matter what. And that's what I at times try to explain to them and something that um, I hope anyone listening, whether you're a parent now or reflecting on your own childhood, there's no child that deserves abuse. You should never hit your child and say, oh, but because they're doing this or doing that. First of all, no child deserves to get hit. And second of all, hitting them is not going to help or fix the behavior anyway. So if you're saying, well, I'm doing it because of this, your reasoning for doing it, first of all, they don't deserve it. And second, it's not benefiting anything. So you're just hurting them, um, scarring them, abusing them, hurting your relationship with them and doing something that is negative or hurtful. But an analogy that I think can shed some light into this experience or what the experience is like for a child uh, came to me recently that I wanted to share today. So when a child is abused, the parent or parents, they are the person and persons that are making them survive making them be alive, taking care of everything. And children in this way benefit from thinking that their parents are omnipotent or all-powerful, especially when they're very young, that they can protect me, take care of me, do everything that I need, and I'm safe and okay because of them. 
even I think it's interesting when you look at the comfort we get from our parents, but even we can get as we get older too. When children, for example, are afraid there's a monster in their room or they're scared of something, usually what they're imagining in their head is far bigger than their parents, but when they go to their parents, they feel safe. So there's this interesting way that we can feel safe and secure with our parents, even though in a rational or logical way, if we look at what's going on, we know they can't do anything. If there really was this huge monster, your parent would not be able to uh, protect you from that monster. But when we're in that moment, we do feel safe. So there's this way that security that we get in an emotional way, um, it, it is almost larger than what are the actual threats because we feel that comfort emotionally that we are taken care of. So if you're a child and you are being abused by your parent, we can say there's two conclusions, either I'm the problem or they're the problem. But imagine if you're on a plane and either you think I'm, you know, you look out the window, you think, I think we're too low or something's not right about what's happening here. Um, but you talk to the pilot, somehow you're able to talk to the pilot, and the pilot tells you, no, we're okay. Now, what would you rather be true? That you, sitting there as a passenger, are right in thinking that, uh, you know, we're, we're in somewhere not safe, or thinking that the pilot is right and knows what's going on. So the pilot is the one that can take care of you, is going to take care of the whole plane. So it's safer or better to feel and believe that the pilot is good and you are bad in this scenario. I'm seeing it wrong. I'm seeing things in a way that isn't right because if the pilot was wrong, you will surely die. Similarly, like a child feels like if their parents are wrong, it could mean they're no longer in a safe place or they would be protected. So it's easier, it would actually be better for us to think we're the one that is wrong. Or looking at it in another way, if you were about to take off on a, a flight and I, had, I said either you're going to be in excruciating pain during this whole flight or the pilot is going to be in excruciating pain the whole flight, we'd probably say, you know what, I'd rather I'm the one in pain because the pilot has to fly the plane and make sure everyone is safe and make sure I land safely. So even if I'm in some pain, I'd prefer that than dying, that the pilot is in so much pain that they can't fly the plane. So we'd rather take that pain on. So for a child in a situation when they're in an abusive relationship from their parent, Although we would think, well, of course, the parent is the one doing the wrong things. It's a lot safer to feel that the one that has the power, has the control, is somehow right. There's some reason behind what they're doing. I'm the wrong one. They're the right one. Because at least in the bigger picture way, I'm okay. Because the people that are in charge, they know what they're doing still. But unfortunately, what this causes the child to do is deeply internalize this feeling that it's something about me that is leading to me being treated in this way. I am being abused because I am bad. I am not good. Something about me is not good. Oftentimes they might think it's some behavior, so maybe I should act uh, in this way or that way. Or they might think it's just something at my core, which unfortunately very often the child will internalize. Something about me makes me unlovable. If my parents, who are of course good, as I was saying, it's safer to think of them as good and strong and all those positive things. If my parents are good and they're doing this to me, I must be the problem. And so very sadly, they carry that with them and into their future life. So here's another example of what actually might be a healthy or the least bad 
strategy growing up as we get older and the environment changes we still carry that with us if someone who has been abused is now in a relationship they might allow someone to abuse them they might allow someone to treat them bad thinking that's what i deserve or that's the best that i can deserve or expect if my parents who were good treated me this way and when i'm meeting a new person well it would make sense that they're going to treat me that way too it's me that's the problem not this new person that i am meeting um, or there's sometimes this desire that if i uh, meet this person who has that similar personality or characteristics that i see is similar to my parents maybe if i'm good enough now i can earn their love and have them not treat me in this negative way or to abuse me or hurt me in some way but sadly if we choose someone who has those similar types of characteristics almost always they will act in that way and that'll further unfortunately give us what we think is a confirmation of see another person i thought was good i was falling in love with them fell in love with them and they're again treating me this way it must be me i'm getting confirmation again that i'm the reason that i get treated this way it's not that others are bad or that these some others are bad it's that i am bad and that strategy from childhood carries forward or that mindset from childhood carries forward but what we need to be able to recognize is what happened to me in childhood was not my fault was not because i am bad and this is another one of those realizations that we start to get as we get older is my child my parents were once children and in a lot of ways they're carrying their own wounds from childhood or even another way of looking at that they might be an adult big bodies but emotionally they might still be children and they might still act in ways that are childish so even though they were much bigger than me in a physical sense it doesn't mean that emotionally they were much more advanced uh, and oftentimes what can help is looking at their childhood or understanding their psychology not to forgive them or justify to say oh it was okay that they abused me because they they themselves let's say were abused or they they dealt with these traumas but by understanding their past and the things contributed to them acting in this way can actually help us take it less personally so it wasn't that they hurt me because i am bad they hurt me because they were wounded they were hurt they had issues that that now made them act this way when they were parents this is how they were dealing with things and it could remove some of that possibility or that uh, certainty we have that it was about us and slowly we can start to forgive our parents for what they did and as is always the case with forgiveness sometimes even when i say this with someone i'm working with or even in, in a personal way talking to someone we usually think we forgive someone for them so i'm asking you to forgive your parents for your parents sake oh they didn't know any better they tried their best whatever it might be your parents might even be no longer with you whether they died or you have no relationship with them and i would still want you to forgive them because it's not about them you forgive them for you because when we have not forgiven someone yet we're still holding on to pain and resentment for what they have done we are the one that hurt when we are unable to forgive and i want to make it very clear when i say that it doesn't mean that if you haven't forgiven yet we should you know be upset with you it's another way of punishing you actually people do that they think well why don't you forgive them it's better for you well forgiving is a process it's very complicated and it's not just to think that forgiving is good you'll automatically do it and it's not just saying the words i forgive you or wanting it to be true that you forgive 
just like if you're grieving the loss of someone, yes, we hope you can uh, let go of all of that pain and that you that you have, but you can't just fake it or pretend that it's happening because you think it's better to be able to uh, move forward with your life and to no longer be grieving. Forgiveness is a similar type of thing. And this is why if you are someone who's apologizing to someone, you have to recognize that it's not just, well, I said sorry, they should forgive me and we move on. Forgiveness takes time for the person to process what that feels like, process that they're okay to move forward. And they might forgive you and not continue the relationship with you, but you can still forgive someone um, and recognize that I'm going to let go of that pain from those past experiences, or at least partially let go of that. And actually, this is uh, one of the reasons why people are afraid to forgive at times, because holding on to that pain and that anger towards that person could make us feel like we're protecting ourselves from getting hurt in the future. And in a way, that's true. But it doesn't mean that if you forgive them, you have to let them back in. You can say, I forgive this person. You know, a partner might say, forgive my spouse for cheating on me, but I still want to get a divorce because I don't think I can trust them anymore. So forgive doesn't mean you continue the relationship as if what happened didn't happen. That's what some people think. They say, well, yeah, I hurt you really bad, but I said, sorry, you said I forgive you. So everything is like it was before it happened. No, it could get back to a point it could even get stronger depending on what happened and the forgiveness in that process but it doesn't mean that that thing never happened it means that i'm going to forgive you for that action but now based on that i still will make a decision of how i want to carry forward in my relationship with you if i want a relationship with you uh, and what i want to do or how i would modify that relationship so even if we're talking about your parents and if you're forgiving them you don't necessarily have to have a close relationship with them if that forgiveness is achieved. You might say, I forgive my mom and dad, but I don't want to communicate with them or be in close contact with them, or I'll keep the relationship with these types of boundaries, but I am forgiving and letting go of that pain from the past, which is a very hard and, and challenging process, and one that very often will require um, some therapy to get through it, depending on the extent of the abuse. The reason why therapy can be so helpful for something like abusive relationships is that through that relationship with the therapist, you can also heal some of that pain from the past. So trying to do it on your own might not be enough. It might need to take place in the context of a relationship. Often people have healthy relationships, romantic friendships that can also serve that purpose as well. But overall, we have to recognize that usually the healing that needs to take place since the pains were created in and through relationships, the healing oftentimes needs to be in and through relationships as well. So keep in mind that when you're the child who's being abused, unfortunately, it can feel safer to think the pilot is the one who's right and I'm wrong. But we carry that with us and think, I'm bad, I'm wrong, I did something wrong, and I deserved what happened to me when that is definitely not the case. All right, let's go to another commercial break. Studio number 3104410555. We'll be right back. Welcome back. So I wanted to talk a bit about the unconscious, which is um, something we hear a lot about when in psychology and therapy, or people think, well, that's something you were unconsciously thinking about. What I always think is funny is sometimes you'll say, do you think unconsciously you were thinking this? And people will say, no, no, I definitely was not. Which sometimes we have a sense of what's in our unconscious, but we don't always. So you might not have access to what's there. But I think what I want to talk about today was rebranding the unconscious. So a lot in marketing and um, 
even when it comes to people, we think of, well, we need to rebrand this, uh, whether it's a product, a company, an individual, because they now have a bad reputation or one that doesn't reflect them. And I think this is very much the case when it comes to the unconscious. So uh, maybe in giving a type of a definition of the unconscious, the unconscious is things that are in our our brain or our mind, but that we are not at the moment aware of. All of that is our unconscious, things that you aren't aware of that are there from memories, sensations, um, even knowledge, information can be there. But all those things are in your unconscious. You can't possibly be consciously aware of everything that you have in your brain, all the information, the knowledge you have. You can't be aware of it at every moment. It would be too much, too overwhelming. Even in a moment, as I'm sitting here in the studio, if I actually took in everything that was around me, all the sense information, that would be too much. So some of it doesn't really come into my conscious awareness. But if I look at it, I can maybe see it in more detail and become aware of it. So in some ways, our unconscious is, it has a similar format that there's a lot in our brain that is there, essentially like storage, but you're not uh, consciously aware of that. And that's good. Even this is why when we are, um, you know, you're talking to a friend, all of a sudden, a lot of things about that friend might come up. It was in your unconscious. It was there. You were not consciously aware of it, but it was in your brain and accessible. um, But you just had to get there. Now, The accessibility itself is an issue because some things might be deeper in your unconscious or some things might be more harder to access, whether because they're for older memories or older experiences, or possibly we don't want to feel them or think them, so we don't access them. But the unconscious itself is not a negative thing. Now, why might it have this negative dark connotation? Because for most people, when you say, oh, your unconscious desires, if I say that, most people think it's something sexual or dirty or that people wouldn't want to share with one another or it's something really negative or about hurting people. We think it's something very, very bad. Well, I think part of that has to do with the fact that the theme or the concept of the unconscious, one of the people who is most famous for contributing to the development of that is Sigmund Freud. And so when Sigmund Freud came to this uh, idea of the unconscious, it was happening during Victorian times where people were very much focused on looking proper, where there was a lot of repression and suppression of things like sexual desires and, and everyone was so focused on how they appeared and looked okay that these things about themselves were very much secret or bad or we shouldn't look at those things and so when freud started to discuss these desires first of all the fact that people could not express any of these things means that if he was tapping into these desires or dreams or things that they had they were more likely to have these themes in them because whatever we suppress it comes back out it doesn't just disappear So whatever it is that we um, suppress, it actually becomes stronger. It doesn't go away. So it's likely that you're seeing even more of those things. But to talk about those things made it seem like it's really bad. We all have these horrible, dark parts of ourselves that are really bad and we don't want to show anyone. And all humans are is these really um, dirty, you know, these apes that are having all these bad desires. But we as a society have to find ways to civilize us to take them all away. But I don't think that is true. 
does our unconscious include desires that we might not even be aware of or have not not tapped into? Sure. Does it include sexual things that we might not think about consciously or think we can share? Of course, it includes those things, but it also includes so many other things that are also very good. In a way, your unconscious is what lets you survive in different moments and respond and react to different things that are happening. But because we have this notion that the unconscious is something really dark and ugly, this, I think, is a problem that leads to people actually not wanting to understand themselves better. Even in therapy, as you help a client get a little bit deeper into understanding themselves, very often people are afraid to see what is there. What if when we look at my more deeper desires or what I'm feeling, we find that I'm a, a, an evil person, a bad person, or I want to do bad things. And here I think it's important to think or take a look at how we view humans and who we are. We are individuals who are capable of good things and bad things. Everyone has certain desires for things that if we told other people, we'd be embarrassed about. That's okay. Now, part of that embarrassment is because everyone hides things from each other that we think it's so bad, but everyone has different types of desires and feelings. It doesn't make you a bad person. Just because you want to, let's say, you look at some car and you're like, I wish I had that car, uh, even you wish you could steal it, doesn't mean you're a bad person or you're a thief. It's just that you like the car, you have that. Or if you're married, you still will find other people attractive. Doesn't mean you're an unfaithful person that you can find people attractive. How you act on it, yes, that would be more reflective of who you are. But just having that desire doesn't mean you're bad. Um, you know, people who experience obsessive compulsive disorder will have these very um, uh, uncomfortable, distressing, obtrusive, in, obtrusive um, thoughts and um, things that really make them feel bad. For example, um, they'll think something like, I'm going to kill someone, or I'm going to even kill a family member, or "I'm what if I run over someone with my car, or I jump out of the car while it's moving. And these intrusive, I think I was saying obtrusive, intrusive thoughts come to them. And unfortunately, very often they can feel like it means they're a bad person or they want to actually do these things. But we're not responsible for the fleeting thoughts that come to our mind. And people who, are, who have obsessive compulsive disorder are not evil people or more likely to be violent, they're actually probably less likely to be violent. They're so afraid to do so many of these things. But because these thoughts come into their head and that loop gets stuck. So for someone else, they might have a thought, oh, what if I hit someone when they're, you know, coming up to an intersection, but then they forget about it. For someone with OCD, they latch onto that thought and it's played on a loop over and over again and they get obsessed with it. And then they try to come up with compulsions or behaviors to reduce the strength of those obsessions or in some way to compensate if i touch the door 18 times it will you know take away the the likelihood that something bad will happen but unfortunately those thoughts that just pop into their head for them they feel very real and feel like it means i'm a bad person but having thoughts come into your head does not make you a bad person we all have um, different types of thoughts that that we'll have that if we acted on those things or if we were to broadcast them, we probably wouldn't feel very good about. But that's part of being human. And so if we can accept that and rebrand again our unconscious that it doesn't mean it's dark and bad, we might see that it's okay that these things are there. 
It could even be funny, just like our dreams. Uh, you know, sometimes the, we look at dreams as a window or road to the unconscious, as Freud said. And so we think, well, if I'm having this dream where I was having sex with this person, that means that I want to do it or I'm a bad person. I want to no, it doesn't mean those things. Dreams are very, very complicated. Sometimes you'll have a dream that seems like one thing, but if you dig a little bit deeper, you might recognize it has to do with something else. Or, for example, people will have a dream that someone died and they'll think a few things. First of all, they might think I'm uh, able to, you know, predict the future. So maybe I, you know, I'm predicting something that's happening. I don't think that's true. Or they might think it means I want that person to die. Well, actually, very often what it means is you're worried about something happening to that person because you love them so much, not actually because you want something bad to happen to them. Another thing that's interesting with dreams is sometimes you might be all the people in your dream. So you might be interacting with someone and thinking, oh, you know, so-and-so did this in my dream. But if you look a little bit closer, you dig a little bit more, you might see, oh, that might have actually been an aspect of myself. Some people, when they interpret dreams, they think that everything, even not even just people, but everything you interact with might be some reflection of yourself. And maybe that's possible. Um, I talked about dreams a few weeks ago and to my understanding, there isn't some dictionary for dreams, meaning that if you dream of a snake, it means this. If you dream of money, it means that. If you dream of your mom, it means this, if you, you know, that whatever it might be. I don't think there is that type of one-to-one -one definition because it depends on a lot more things. Um, but there can be ways to interpret your dreams or at least try to understand what, me, what might be happening in your dreams. But we first have to recognize that it doesn't mean you're a bad person if you see something that seems dark in your dreams. So your unconscious is what allows you to survive. It's what allows you to make sense of the world. It allows you to store so much information. If you can only store as much information as you can be aware of, we wouldn't know very much. We wouldn't be able to do very much. Your unconscious is also why when you meet someone, you already have some feelings about them because they are triggering things from your past. Now, understanding that is not easy. Sometimes people will meet someone and say, I'm head over heels for this person, which based on our romantic beliefs and ideas about love, we think, well, that's, that's the one, that's a soulmate if you're feeling so strongly about them. Now, it's possible you have some very strong attraction to them that could be healthy, but we also have to be aware that when you have a very strong attraction to someone that feels so much like you already know them, what that's probably telling you is they're triggering something from your past. And you do have to take a look to be like, well, what is it that they might be bringing up? So it can be sad to think I'm saying, don't just think it means your soulmates and this is destiny and look at to see if there's maybe something bad there. But we do want to be aware of, well, what is it that they are bringing up for me? Unfortunately, very often that means they remind you of your family. And I say unfortunately because very often means they're bringing up some negative parts of your family that you have not yet resolved. You get triggered by them. You don't know why, but something reminds you. And that's why people say, you know, this person feels like home. And that sounds good, but then you have to remember the home that you lived and grew up in. Was it a place that you want to continue living in? And so very often, even if you lived in a house with a lot of aggression or anger, you might be drawn to someone who is aggressive and angry because it feels like home. And so we have to do some housekeeping first, go back to our homes as far as what we experienced and clean up some of the damage that is done to us 
because if you don't, then you will be drawn to those things. But also in this meantime, if you experience something, really take a look at that. What I actually tell people to do is if you find yourself really drawn to someone in a romantic sense, you have to ask yourself, can I convince myself that this person doesn't have the bad qualities of my parents? doesn't have the bad qualities of my home and what I experienced because we know that's likely what's going to give you such a strong feeling to want to be with someone, to be so drawn towards them. And it really is amazing. This is the power of the unconscious that you've probably felt this before. You're almost drawn from across the room to someone or you just meet them and you feel like you know them. Well, the thing is, it's not that you know them, but you know the feeling that they are giving you because that is part of your past. That is part of your unconscious. So I've heard people when they talk about memory, sometimes they'll say everything you've ever experienced is stored somewhere. And what people tend to think of this means that if I just think of some memory or some day, like a filing cabinet, I can go back and find that file of that day and everything will come back to me. And no, I don't think that's true at all. We don't remember things in this way. You can't just remember something from 10 years ago and remember every moment of it. Every time you actually remember something, in some way you're recreating that experience. So it's actually um, part fact, part fiction. Everything you really think of in a way we can say is based on a true story to some extent because you can't remember things in this way of a filing cabinet. The way I actually think that everything you've ever experienced is remembered is that it is stored in your body in the sense of feelings, meaning that something can bring up that memory or that experience again, or it affects the ways you interact with things. So if you've interacted with dogs a million times, all those memories are stored in the sense that you experience them or that combination is experienced when you see a dog. Now, based on your experiences, some memories might be louder than others. If you had a dog attack you, well, that trauma might affect when you see a dog, that memory might be louder or might have more of an effect than the other ones. So you will be afraid of dogs or you might have a fearful response. And what's the only way you will actually start to feel okay around a dog is if you start to have some more okay, pleasant interactions with them. And this is why when we work with phobias, the only way to get uh, over a phobia is you have to face the thing you're afraid of. So if you had this fear of a dog based on a dog attack, eventually you'd have to have some safe, repeated interactions with dogs and slowly that large memory of the attack will start to get drowned out by these more positive experiences. And now when you see a dog, it won't trigger that same feeling in a way, an unconscious response that this dog is going to, to kill you or hurt you or is going to be dangerous. And this is why phobias are not logical. So people can say, I know that dog can't hurt me or won't hurt me, but the fear response, it's unconscious and automatic. And so I think something bad's going to happen. Or if people have a fear of flying, they'll tell you, I know that the chance this plane crashes is one in whatever million or whatever it might be before they go on the plane. But when they're on the plane, the feeling is I'm about to die or this plane is about to go down. They can't just control it. And that's why you can't just tell someone, hey, here are the statistics on planes. So don't have that phobic response. It's an auto automatic and unconscious response. And so here I'm talking about in the, the, the context of phobias, but we know that it's something that helps us too, because in life we have to know what to react to and what not to react to. Is it always going to 
leave us with the best impressions of everything or mean we're going to function in the best way? No. Sometimes a phobia can get in the way of your life and in a way we can say it's our wiring not doing the best things. But this is another way that our unconscious is working to try to protect us or make us safe in this world. And the unconscious isn't some dark, uh, you know, a dirty, animalistic type of a thing. It's what helps us survive, live, and be okay in this world. We can't be aware of everything. We can't be conscious of everything in every moment. Our brains, our bodies store much more than that. All right, let's go to another commercial break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Yes, hi. Hi, thanks for calling. Uh, yes, thanks for accepting my call. Sure. So I, I my sister um, gave me your number and uh, thought to speak with you in regards to an issue that I will split that I've just faced okay. with my fiancé. Okay, so um, you were with your fiancé and you just broke up and she thought it'd be good for you to talk to someone. Well, I'm glad we're talking. Maybe you could tell me a bit more about the situation than if you have any questions or, or how I can help you. Yeah. Well, it's all, it all started that I, uh, I thought, well, I kind of, I moved away from family to, uh, uh to North Cal to finish my degree where mm-hmm. the place I moved into, I, basically had no friends, no family, nothing. I was all by myself, trying to focus in my life. And then so my plan was to come back to San Diego, SoCal. Mm-hmm. What happened, uh, during that time, I met this girl who, she was really cool, you know, and she she basically was the only person I knew up there. Mm-hmm. And then, so what happened, we, you know, we we had like, you know, good times and then we had some like argument at the same time. But what happened, she, I kind of knew, you know, I kind of noticed that she's not my type. So I wasn't trying to kind of, you know, fall for it. So what happened, she, I ended, I ended up moving in with her and Wait, long story so, short. Sorry, just so I'm clear, you said she wasn't your type, so you moved in with her? Well... Yeah, I made a mistake. Okay. Well, what, what, mis- well, okay. How do you understand well, just, that mistake? Was it that you? Uh, I mean, because it, it was interesting, just the timing of it to say, I realized she wasn't my type, so then I moved in with her. Well, the thing was, see, the thing was, I was lonely. I left all my friends down in SoCal, mm-hmm. and then she was basically the only friend I had, and I guess I was confused. Okay. And then, so what happened, she was keep pushing me to move in with her, and I was refusing until one day I decided to basically move in with her, you know. Uh-huh. And then, what happened, um, when I moved in, I guess things didn't get better. It was just yeah. getting worse, because we... We didn't have anything in common. Like I don't know. It just I'm a, I was an active. I'm a pretty active guy. I like to explore new things and places. But all she did was just want to watch TV and be on her phone. And that thing bothered me a lot. 
until recently, uh, we broke up. Mm-hmm. And I never felt that way about anyone because besides what she did, she did a lot of good things for me. And I, I don't know. I honestly don't know what I'm doing. It's just I want to get back to my normal state. Okay. So, so overall, how long were you together? Well, the thing was, we were together for two and a half years. Okay. Okay. And then I, I kind of, I, I, I feel like I was rushed into proposing to her. Yeah. And then, yeah. And then so, it just she had tempers, and I had up tempers too. It's just like I feel like she wanted to control me, and then. Also, there were some stuff from my end that I should have not done. You know, I was basically telling her, like, this person you're hanging out, you know, she's not your type of person, you know, which that was completely my mistake. I should have not said that. But the thing is, I feel like I made a mistake from the beginning to allow her in my life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it does seem like the way you describe it, you... um you know, we're feeling lonely, feeling like you wanted some someone and she came in and in a way you were talking about control. It seemed like she wanted to take over you in a way. And and so but you because you were so alone, you might have wanted some of that too, of just having someone completely Exactly. You know, yes. have you and you have them, but there was sure. a lot of things that were unhealthy uh from the beginning, it seems like, and you just also didn't stop it in a lot of ways. So her pushing and her control it seems like yeah we can say she was being controlling but of course on your end it's letting yourself be controlled or letting yourself give in to what she wanted over and over again that that was um, problematic and anytime we enter a a relationship from a feeling of deprivation like I'm lonely so I need someone unfortunately that means we will a lot of times get into a bad relationship because we'll take whatever we can get, but also we might even make the relationship more than it needs to be, which is possibly what you did with her as well. Yeah. So, of course, we can dig a little bit deeper to look at what happened with where you're at now. What is it that you are trying to, you know, what's your question for me or what is it you're trying to understand? My, I'm just trying to understand. um, Well, it's funny because I already know all my answers. I connected together from my moving with her, I was inspired. I, I, I decided I, I, I was inspired to what I want to do for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And that was a good thing out of it. I'm not going to lie. But my, I just basically what I'm trying to, I just want to move on from her so I can, you know, get back to my normal stage where I can be happy and, and I can focus in my, uh, in my business and, and you know it's just it's kind of hard I've never been in this type of situation mm-hmm. uh, from my past life I used to not care about anyone but now I, I, I believe I I fall for a wrong person and I got it I got burned pretty bad okay and you know not caring for anyone is not a good thing itself but um, so that's not necessarily healthier a lot of times people they like the feeling of not caring because it's easier to not care about anyone, but it's usually not Sorry. coming from a healthy place. But yeah, it yeah. seems like you feel like you cared uh, maybe too much for the wrong person or got too involved with the wrong person, which of course then you're going to feel a lot for them. How long ago was the, the breakup? 
Uh, just about two weeks ago. Okay. So the first thing I would say is two weeks after a two and a half year relationship that included living together and engagement, it would make sense that you're still not happy. You know, if you tell me you had no feelings about it, I'd be more concerned about that than if you say I'm still hung up on it after just a couple of weeks. So we yeah. want to be aware of what to expect because also and people around us at times that might be coming from yourself but people around us will often put a pressure on us to get over things quickly that okay well if she was the wrong person why are you still sad about it or um, you know if it wasn't the right relationship you should be happy not sad but breaking up always involves some level of healing and pain that we have to acknowledge that we have to go through to really move on. So when you tell me about moving on, I do want you to be able to move forward and move on with your life. But I do think that some of that process will involve pain and discomfort and not feeling good. And so we, I want to make sure you uh, accept that as part of the process and don't think of that as, oh, something's bad because I'm sad or I'm missing her. It's understandable that you do. Does that make sense? Yeah. And then another thing is that I'm still trying to like, I know what I'm, what I'm going, to, going to say. It's, it doesn't make sense, but I'm still trying to text her and talk to her. Maybe we can, like you know, we can, you know, fix things. Okay. But so yeah. Deep down, uh-huh. I, I I know that she's not my type of person. I, I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. I honestly don't know. What, I don't know what I'm doing. It's just, right. I don't know if I'm doing it out of heart out of my heart or out of my brain. I don't know. Well, and let's look at, we can try to look at that and understand what, what's going on there. So of course you're not going to, you're not even trying to get over her yet. You're still trying to make it work. So um, clearly that means you're not going to be moving on when you're still, still going back to it. So I think it'll be good to look at, yeah, what is going on here? Because you're telling me she's not my type. She's not the right person for me, but you're still trying to make it work. And this is very often where we can use analogies to addiction. And I don't know how bad she was for you. So I don't want to say she was like this toxic drug. But if you're saying it's not the right relationship, you know, when we break up, it's like you're getting withdrawing from a drug. You know, you're trying to quit a drug. And when you first break up, the quickest thing to get you to feel good again is to have that drug again. Right. So if you're trying to quit smoking and you stop smoking for two days, sadly, the thing that will make you feel the best, the fastest in that short term is a cigarette. That's the thing that's going to make you feel good. So when you're missing her, the thing that's going to make you feel the best, the quickest is to have her again, even though that might be bad for you long term in trying to move on and move forward with your life. Going back to her is going to be the strongest pull. Going away yeah. from her is going to is going to be harder to do every moment. And that can be the tough part in these types of situations is we're always going to have a stronger pull or at least a strong pull. And if we don't really think about what we're doing, we almost always will will go there. Now, I don't want to make the decision for you that for sure she's the wrong one for you. You've said it yourself um, in, in a few ways. So maybe this will also help in understanding what you want to do. Tell me, you mentioned tempers, but... Uh, and the issue of control. But why do you think she was, is not the right person for you? Well, first off, she she was still dealing with her uh, mom's death. Her mom passed away five years ago, and it was she was she was not over it, and and and, and then so she had anxiety, and she also had uh, eating disorder, mm-hmm. where you know I I I was trying to basically like you know. Kind of whenever I was talking with her, I tried to spend times with her. She, 
she was always on her phone and she would never want to like go out for a walk or try, I, just, I was trying to encourage her to just go out just for a walk and everything. And instead she, and every time I tell her, Hey, listen, you know, it's not healthy. Let's just, you know, for the, for our health, for your health, it's good to, you know, just go for a walk a little. And, and then, and then she would get really upset and, you know, she would either like walk away from me, like don't talk to me and everything. And then, and then five minutes later she comes back to me and she's, she's trying to make up like, you know, Hey, I'm sorry. Every time that was the same story over and over. Like mm. she would get mad and within five minutes she wants to like, you know, be friends again. And, and then whenever like I would get upset, I would ask her, Hey, give me a space. She would never want to give me a space. Like she would like, sometimes she would stand in front of a TV and try to talk to me. And I was like, Hey, listen, this, you know, so, yeah. And I feel like, I feel like her mom's, uh, past, uh, her mom's death, uh, put a big damage in her life. Mm-hmm. And she was, I, 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 I think she was pretty confused. Okay. And yeah, I mean, you know, her mom's death might've had, and, and sometimes, you know, we have a partner, things are going to happen in their lives and it can affect them and how they might be for some time. It seems like you feel like she was still dealing with that. You mentioned the eating disorder, um, and eating disorder generally has issues of control tied up into it. And it seems like that was a big part of your experience with her. Uh, it seems like there was a lot of anxiety that she couldn't handle even if you needed some time or space, or even if she got upset, it seems like once she calmed down a bit, the anxiety would kick in of losing you or um, that that type of it, maybe abandonment or something happening there. And so she would come back quickly, which sounds good, but there does seem to be something about like she was afraid to lose you more than wanting to be with you. And maybe you had some of that with her exactly. too. There wasn't like this strong bond that was actually there. It was more about not being alone. Um, yes. than, than being together. So yeah, it seems yeah. like there's a lot of these, these unhealthy things. So, and I, I don't know if I asked you, how old are you and how old is she? I am 37 and she was 35. Okay. Um, and do you want to get married? What's your own personal desire of, of life? Marriage, kids, what do you want? You know, I do want to get married and I do want to have a kid. Okay. You know, but I don't think if I can have that with her, Okay. So are you pretty convinced of that? Well, I'm trying to convince myself, but <laughs> it just, it just, my emotions like a roller coaster right now. Like one day, like, you know, I'm over it. Another day it just kicks, kicks it. Like, you know, it gets me pretty hard. You know, it's just, hmm. that's what I'm trying to, I, 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 no, don't get me wrong. I talk, I, I speak with myself to just, you know, solve things and it helps. Mm-hmm. But again, it comes back and it hit me hard. Like yeah. just the memory I have, I've had, you know. Yeah, and that's and, and you know this is a part we'll, we're going to get to a commercial break, but I don't want us to stop the conversation. I want to give you a chance to talk about it a bit more because I feel like we've just opened up a lot of things. Um, the memories and missing that's going to be there. It doesn't necessarily tell me she's right for you. I don't, I'm not saying she's definitely wrong, but sometimes people think, well, if I miss this person, does that mean they're right for me? But if you've been with someone for over two years and you don't miss them after two weeks, I'd be concerned. So that doesn't necessarily mean she's the right one. It could be like I was saying before, there's that draw of just 
taking this pain away and the fastest ways to connect to her again. Um, but what I want to do after the break is tell me what are the good things about her. We talked about some of the bad, the good things about her that makes you, when you say you're confused, because it seems like you said, I'm trying to convince myself. And I don't want you to convince as in make yourself believe something because we think it's what you should believe. We really want to look at what's going on and what we have here. So um, when we start after the break, we can talk a bit about what what do you like when you think of maybe she is the right one when you want to go back to her. Uh, and we can try to see what is fueling or driving that, if it's something really is coming just from the pain or actually something good that is there. Is it avoiding pain or going towards something good? So I'll put you on hold and we'll talk after the break, okay? Okay, thank All you. All right, we'll be right back. Welcome back. Before the break, I was with the caller. Let's go back to him now. Caller, are you still there? Hello? Yes, hi. Yes, hi. Okay, so, you know, the, you're talking about a recent engagement that ended about two weeks ago. Um, Correct. Uh, after about two and a half years of being together. And, and before the break, I asked you to, to see uh, if you can share with me what are the things you see that are good in her and your relationship with her. When we're trying to understand, as you were saying, what's what's causing you to want to be with her still, you seem conflicted. So what is it about her that you see as being good or that would make her a good partner for you? Well, um, like when I met her first, her charisma, just like, she was really powerful. Like, you know, you know, this big woman, big independent woman okay. that really got me. Uh-huh. And then and then another thing is that she inspired me she helped me well not help but i i decided what, what i want to do for the rest of my life as far as work and you know kind of follow what i love and and then she was also very adventurous just like me you know she was down to for example you know for adventure and spontaneous those, those are the good things about her. And then what I really, really, really liked about her was that she was very outgoing. I mean, like, she could you could, you could throw her in the middle of people, and she would talk to everyone like a leader. You know, she was, well, that was her PhD in leadership. And those are the things that was very attractive to me, you know, and... Those, those are the qual. Uh, those are the. That's what I was looking for in life, you know. So. Yeah. That's 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 pretty much it. I just. Those are the main things that I really liked about her. Okay, um, something you said when you were starting like, at the beginning, she was this, this, and this. I, I didn't know if you meant that things changed or what parts were in the beginning that she changed later on. Oh, actually, no, no, no. I rephrase. That's how she was from the beginning. Yes. Oh, okay. That, that's how she was. Yes. From the beginning. Okay. Correct. So there's were a lot of, uh, of good things that you listed there. Um, so it's clearly there's, there's some good there as well. So when you look at your assessment of things about her being either a, not a good or a good partner for you, where, where are you at right now with that? I mean, like, I have a lot of flaws, too. I'm not going to lie. Uh, for example, I get mad. I unfortunately call names, you know, you know, just and, uh, and uh, stuff that come out of my mouth it could be very helpful. And I know that about myself. And I want to fix that about myself. Okay. And then um, 
I well, I, I'm currently at a stage that I have just started my business, and you know, I'm outgoing to. That's where I heard. They, I've heard from my friends that they said I'm very outgoing and and I'm not that kind of shy person. I can get along with anybody and everybody, you know, start conversation just easily with everyone. Is that, is that, is that the answer? Because I'm, I'm a little confused. Like, could you give me more details? No, yeah, I'm just wondering what, you know, when you look at her and you think of her as should you be with her or not, where do you stand right now? Like what you think? I mean, like, I'm like 50-50 because other things that she, I was really attracted to her is that she had a lot of friends. Like, and I'm telling you, like, friends were calling her, speaking with her. I don't know if they were doing this because they feel bad for her, that she's lonely, she doesn't have a mother, or in general, I wasn't sure. But those are the things that are really stand out. Okay. You know? I mean, but, you know, this theme of your loneliness seems to be coming out again, like the fact that she had so many people around her. Um, that's that's good. It's not necessarily, ba- obviously not a bad thing, but I'm not sure how that, what that means about you and her being together. I mean, like, I, I don't know, man. I mean, like, I, it's, See, my my mom told me if her if you see more goods in her, stay with her. If you don't see any good, but see that's that's the thing though about her. Goods and bads are fifty fifty. I mean, like as far as okay, so here's a weight issue. She was she was overweight, pretty bad, mm-hmm. and and I told her. I told her, and then, so what happened, her mom and her aunt passed away at the age of mid-50s. It's because they were obese. And and her weight issue was, it was getting into me really bad. I was nervous. I was like, and I told her, I was like, you, you know, not caring about your health, it, it worries me. What if we end up having a kid and then the same thing happened to you as happened to your uh, with your mom you know I don't want to be left here you know all, all sad and uh, as, you know it just that was the thing that was a big turn off for me mm-hmm. okay the, there was a physical part of it but it's obviously more than just um, physical um, but you know even when you say things are 50-50 that sounds good like good or sounds even but it's not even when we're looking at how we you know are looking at a partner we need a lot more good than we have bad exactly in there so i don't know if you feel like it's really that even like it's kind of like there's a it's about the same the good and the bad qualities well so here's it another thing is that now i notice i mean like yeah i try to talk her out of it like you know just come back and everything but i feel like i feel like um, what I'm doing is wrong. You know, I feel like she she she's looking at her at it as, you know, that I don't know. I just I guess I have an ego that I don't want to 
um, I, you know, I'm just really confused. I'm sorry. I just that's okay. I, I, well, right now, did, I kind how, of lost all my okay. words. You know, just, so let me then know. ask you, that's okay. So how did things end? What led to the actual breakup? Well, see, what happened, she left to her friend's house, and and then this, she basically stayed there. And then so and then I didn't want to stay there because I, I I don't know anybody. I don't have friends over there. I don't have any family members. Mm-hmm. And so I just packed all everything and just moved out of there. I'm not sure if I got it. She just what made her leave the house? It, yeah, she left the house because she didn't want to see me. She wanted she wanted space. Okay. Yeah. Now you said in general she wasn't like that to want space, and she would always. Um, you know, that would be that you would want space and she wouldn't give it to you. But exactly. So, like, exactly. Yeah. But so then eventually you just left? Like it just ended like that? I just left because honestly, I like I said, I she had friends to speak with. She had family members, you know, to basically to see. I, I didn't have any of that, you know. I just, yeah, I, I could have called my friends or, or something. But the thing is to have a person next to me like you know any of my friends i needed that and i couldn't take it anymore yes i mean the way you're describing it you were like dependent on her more than things were just good with you and her you know pretty much yes so that that's not a good sign uh obviously it's like more of a need than like uh wanting to be with her at times like you didn't have any other support so yeah. that's not that's not good. I know you said the fights seem like they got kind of bad. When you think of right now, if you had to pick a partner, would she be the partner you'd pick as far as how she is? Uh, I mean, like, that's a very big question. No. Okay. I, I, I don't want, I don't want to, I don't want, I mean, like, I, I, I would, I would, like to be her friend but not anything as far as marriage or future wife yeah so it seems like you you have your answer there yes but the thing is the emotion you know as i've mentioned those memories are hitting me again and then i i get tempted to speak with her and text her and call her and that's why I'm just yeah you know it's hard so that this is where you know the um the the drug metaphor fits a little bit again you know so it's that not having that when you feel that pain you want to go back towards her not because she's good you're saying I'm not saying she's bad but good for you in the bigger picture right. sense but it's not because she's going towards something good it's to avoid the pain of the breakup it's to go get away from that. And going back to what you said last segment of I used to not care really about people and, you know, so breakups wouldn't affect you. You might be taking that pain to mean she's so good or it's so much better or I'm not used to feeling this something is really wrong. But um, I hope you can see that, that that's not a reason to to be with her just to get away from that yes. pain. Yes. So, I, you know, it's interesting how sometimes we can just ask ourselves and we realize we have the answer. I, I asked you if you would pick her as your partner. You said no. And I think that is the the answer that's telling you what you need to do. Now, how you're going to make it happen, that's hard. And going back to what you said before, there was a lot of loneliness that you were talking about. And so this could be something you need to look at in your own life. 
yes, you know, you moved away, that can be something. But in general, I get the feeling there's a loneliness. And what can happen is that then you might just become close with whoever will get close to you and then accept them because it's more taking away that pain of the loneliness rather than the genuine desire to be with that person from a want type of a place. So I I really think it's something to look at. Um, You know, you're wanting to get back with her. Seems like it's just to get away from that pain rather than to go towards what we think is the good relationship. Yes. Probably, you know, you have to make this decision yourself, but um, cutting your ties with her would be better or the communication is going to be a a better thing um, and making that quite clear. But I know that's easier said than done too. So it's just something to be aware of that if you know it's not the right relationship, ending it will always feel hard. That doesn't mean it's the right relationship. That's going to feel painful. But um, if you think you know, then you got to act on that type of a decision, just like a drug. Again, it's not to say she's toxic, but if this is not good for you, if you know it's not good for you, you might even need help from others. I need to, you know, you might need to see friends and family more, uh, be around them to, to keep you kind of not occupied as in I want you to distract yourself because sometimes we do that. We think I have to just distract myself. But if you keep going into the memories, you're probably going to want to be with her more or looking at pictures of you and her together or going and looking at her pictures online or in your phone. Those types of things will usually just contribute to you, the pain becoming more and louder rather oh. than actually seeing what's, what you know, what, what's happening. So I would recommend against that. If you, if you make that decision, which you have to decide, I'm not going to make that for of you, course. of course, that it's not the right relationship going back, uh, you know, and looking at, it's kind of like looking at advertisements for alcohol when you're trying to quit, you know, or looking at pictures of yourself drinking beer. Of course, that's going to make you want to go back to that. So the more Thank you me. go towards it, um, if you really have made that decision, I would say, think about that today, spend some time. It might even be worth, you know, if you enjoyed or thought this was useful talking to me, it, it might be something to consider going to a therapist a few times to explore. They're not going to tell you what to do as I'm not going to say you should definitely break up or stay with her, but they'll help you understand yourself and what's going on. And then to make that decision in a better way, because if you come to that conclusion to break up, you're, you, you probably have to take some actions to help yourself because it is like getting over an addiction where it's going to be a little bit hard. It's going to be challenging. We know that a lot will be pulling you back there. As I was saying, everything will be wanting to pull you back to getting away from this discomfort. And the easiest way is to to talk to her, to connect with her. But it doesn't mean she's the right one. It just means she's the thing you're missing because you were closest with her most recently. I I do have to wrap up the show for today, but I hope you'll Get to a, a good place of where you feel good about the decision and then make that decision and go forward. Your heart, you know, as you said, your heart and mind, they sometimes can be in conflict. Once we get to a conclusion that we think makes sense, we have to make sure the feelings don't pull us in, in the wrong direction. But good luck uh, with that and, and thank you for your call. Thank you very much. Okay. All right. Have a great day. You guys welcome. Bye. Take care. All right. That brings us to the end of today's show. As always, a big thank you to Ghazali here in the studio. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Dulaqui. Have a wonderful day.